Hello and welcome to the second edition of our CPS podcast. I am Amara Bangura. And I'm Dr. Shelley Whitman. Sexual violence against children has been identified by the United Nations as one of the six grave violations against children in armed conflict, specifically in UN Security Council Resolutions 1612 and 1820. Despite the UN and other international legal entities naming this a crime against humanity, one worthy of international criminal charges, millions of children around the globe live with the terrifying threat of sexual violence and conflict every day. Like example, me I've been picking anything and you go lay on me, rape me. You rape me without no cause. I don't do the nothing. Not to make out war. That was Princess Kuruma. She was abducted by rebel forces when she was just seven years old, drugged and repeatedly raped before she was given a gun to fight. We'll hear more from her later in the program to know what life is like now for her. We'll also tell you what the Dallaire Institute for Children, Peace and Security is doing to help end these horrifying crimes against children. CPS Podcast is brought to you by the Dallaire Institute for Children, Peace and Security, a global partnership that is working to end the recruitment and use of children in conflict. This is a new platform to discuss new ideas on how together we can end this abhorrent abuse. When people talk about conflict zones, not very often do they talk about the experiences of boys and girls or the differential impact of conflict due to gender. Attention tends to be focused on political and economic interests and not the protection of boys and girls from horrible abuses. So, children in conflicts across the world continue to live in horrifying situations. They are targeted, abused, and brutalized during armed conflicts by adults who profit from war. And recovering from that experience often becomes a life journey for many of them. Such is the case of Princess Kuruma, who is now president of the sex workers in Bombali District, northern Sierra Leone. Princess was abducted by rebel forces when she was just seven. She spent the next eight years of her life fighting with rebel forces before she was rescued by UN forces. The experience was horrific and traumatizing, as she explains. Me and Princess Kuruma, president of the commercial sex workers in Bombali district. Her name is Princess Kuruma. She's president of the commercial sex workers in Bombali district. Me and Princess Kuruma have been going through lots, lots of things in my life. We are not easy to tell the story, self, but what happened to me? She's someone who has been through a lot, a lot of things in her life. And sometimes she finds it difficult to think about it and tell the story of what happened to her. 1991 war, I've been there at the age of seven years. So they made them behold me and take me along with them. And I began to fight for me. I think I began from there. I fight to go to the young country, in Burkina Faso. In 1991, she was just seven when she was abducted by rebel forces. She fought with them from Sierra Leone to Liberia. And from Liberia, they also fought on to Burkina Faso. But within that process, they wouldn't be old me. They would do things then to me where I know it didn't feel good about them anymore. Because one, like example, me have been picking anything and they go lay on me, rape me. You rape me without no cause. I don't do the nothing. Not to make out war. But within that period, they did a lot of terrible things to her. For example, she was just a child, repeatedly raped without any reason. She did nothing to be treated as such. She's not responsible for the war. 
Where they hold me, I did all the for eight years. Why 15 years, then you ain't able to take me now. And by then, let me write me them Nancy Koroma. This princess here, now I get. Now we will fed the war, we will conquer. When they say Morovia, if they look safe, now then, like we are posted, they see me that we come back. I did that whole AK-47. She spent eight years with them before she was rescued by UN forces. By then, she was already 15. By then, her name was Nancy Koroma. But she changed to Princess Kuruma after they fought and conquered Monrovia in Liberia. If you look at some of the posters of the war in Liberia, you'd see her. She was dressed in military combat holding an AK-47. And that's when I don't believe Galba, they use AK-47, they use Jubinine. And I go down and they say, you know, get what talk, not remote. By then, she had been exposed to all sorts of machine guns and AK-47. But God's so good, where you and the guy helped me, they pulled me, they, they I can't give me, I didn't give, I didn't give me, they didn't count me alone. Where they count me alone, I can't get man, I'm married, I'm born picking there. Why don't I'm picking there, back, I can't wait for there. But God's so good, she was later rescued by UN forces and then they took her to Guinea. From Guinea, she returned to Sierra Leone. When she returned to Sierra Leone, she got married and had kids. But then, during the Ebola outbreak, her entire family, including her kids and the husband, died. So I don't see, say, said I still they be me. So the best thing, Laguna Street. So where I don't pass through the thing and day, and now I don't can see myself again now, another wall. Because my first wall been done, done. this is the second wall I can start. So after that, me say, gonna straight back. And then she thought, well, Satan is still after her life. So the only option was to turn to the street and live the street life. After all that horrific experience, now she finds herself in a different world. A world full of drugs and sex work. And now, then God don't make a phone. Simple. You don't have jump out for me. Now, kush. You don't have kush na 2000. Kush na want to go. Where if you like tobacco leaves, they make a like snuff. Where you draw, even if it's a 17 man can, they carry them. And now it's simple. She's exposed to all sorts of drugs. They're just like tobacco. All she needs to do is to sniff them. And after that, she feels prepared and able to sleep with even 17 men for a night. Yeah. Or another problem. Police station, the whole have me now. Me, the stigma, it won't kill me. But you know why I don't encourage stigma go far? Because you're the stigmatized, me, they need to find past you. So now that close and chapter. But with all this, there was a problem. She's known across all the police stations in her district. She almost died because of the stigma within the society. But she didn't encourage that far because she's aware that she lives a better life than many of the people stigmatizing her. And that's how she closed that chapter. Now, Shelley, before we go any further, I'd like to ask you a few questions relating to the story of Princess Kuruma that we've just heard. Um, first, I'll put aside the fact that you are the executive director of an organization trying to end the use of children in conflict. But as a parent, how does it feel hearing such stories detailing the experience of children, especially girls in conflict? Yes, Samara, it's really is a huge factor that when I've traveled around the world and been to the conflict zones that I've been to, you can't help separate uh, yourself from being a parent. And as a mom of four children, mm -hmm. there are many times I've been in situations where I hear the stories of children or see the situations that they're in. And I think that I am so grateful that my children have had the opportunity to grow up without such abuses. 
it's exceptionally difficult. And I can recall in particular one time being in the Democratic Republic of Congo, hearing some of these stories. And it was only that night that I was able to really compress and I broke down and cried thinking about the pain that they were all going through. Hmm. And I'd like also to mention that I personally know Princess and we are from the same town. And in addition to a horrifying experience during the war, I also know that she is the only Ebola survivor in her family. She was on a sickbed in a hospital and watched her two kids and her mom dying in front of her. And soon after, um, other close relatives died as well. From an expert point of view, what are some of the long-term psychological effects of these situations? There are so many, and of course, it depends on each individual and the experiences. But some of the common areas that we understand is that many children blame themselves for the experiences that they may have uh, encountered or been um, abused in. Mm -hmm. And so there's a deep sense of shame for what they have experienced, as well as it has an impact on their identity of who they are and their worthiness to society. And, you know, they also think a lot about um, how this impacts their role as um, parents and adults into the future. So even if it's not something they deal with uh, at that time, it will have a long-term impact when they themselves become adults and parents. And their ability to accept love and mm -hmm. to give love is deeply impacted. Yeah, as Princess mentioned, um, uh, she said one of the things that almost killed her is the stigma mm -hmm. uh, within the community. And she said, um, I, I am known across the districts in almost every police station here because I fought to overcome stigma. Absolutely. The stigma is, is horrific. And for any of the girls that are associated with armed groups and armed forces, it's almost assumed that they have all experienced this and therefore um, this view that they are somehow tainted mm -hmm. um, goods when they come back to the community. So the Yes, those are major factors in terms of their successful rehabilitation. And and you, you have worked in many conflict situations, and I am sure you must have had similar stories to that of Lady P that we've just had. Mm -hmm. uh, when you meet people like Princess Kuruma, where do you start the discussion about giving them hope? I think, Amara, the most important thing is that you allow people to be able to tell you their stories without judgment, just to be able to listen, because many of the young people that I've encountered don't even think that anyone can handle hearing the stories that they're holding tight. Mm. So when you start with that perspective and then you talk to them about the fact that they're not the only ones that have faced this tragic fate, there are many others around the world, and that there are efforts to try to stop it. The last point I would make is probably that in terms of hope, um, reminding them that they are capable of becoming anything that they should want to be in this world, um, that their experiences don't define them. And many find purpose in being able to help prevent these kinds of abuses or helping others who've been through it um, as they move th forward in life. Yeah, and I, I do hope that those who are listening to this podcast and have been in similar situations find hope by sharing their stories. Mm -hmm. um, you have participated in peace programs or um, peace negotiations. How often is the issue of sexual violence and children discussed in those negotiations? Well, exactly, Amara. I was a part of the Inter-Congolese Dialogue in the early 2000s, and I can remember at that time that any issues related to children were really viewed as 
sideline issues to the peace process, as well as issues related to sexual violence, while they are both major aspects of creating peace and security uh, post-conflict, they don't get the attention they deserve. Part of that is often because the people sitting at the high tables uh, of the negotiation processes tend to be men, men of power. And also because it just needs to get flagged earlier on within the uh, agreements themselves. So with the Dallaire Institute, we've done some research in the early days of our organization, which Mm -hmm. was looking at how many of the peace agreements that had been signed since 1989, which is at the time that the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child came into effect, uh, did not have any provisions related to children in armed conflict, let alone connection between sexual violence and children. So, you know, we've come a long way since that time, but uh, there's still a long way to it's, go. It's a long journey. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, but what do you want world leaders to do about the situation of children in conflict? I really want world leaders to see this as critical to the future of humanity. I think that if we took this to be an issue that was going to change the course of how we achieve peace and security around the world and to make things more harmonious, and if we understood the criticality of it, then we would put more time, attention, resources, and efforts towards trying to find solutions to this. And and maybe my point here would be, to the very question you asked me in the beginning, if all of us could think that none of us would want our children to go through this, then maybe we might actually make it a priority. Sure. And I know it's a priority for the Delea Institute, and the Institute is trying in its own ways to address the issue of children um, in conflict. And in South Sudan, there is a program that focuses on the prevention of sexual violence and the prevention of the recruitment and use of children in armed conflicts. Now, can you share with our listeners about that program? Well, Amara, at this point, let me bring in a discussion that I recently had with Sarah Agith, uh, the founder of the Supporting Women in Governance uh, or SWIGO organization in South Sudan. Mama Sarah, as she is known in South Sudan, has been a partner, advisor, and friend of the Dallaire Institute since 2019. Hand in hand with the Dallaire Institute, she has helped mobilize women leaders, forming a Women for Children, Peace, and Security Network. And they meet monthly and discuss the distinct aim of working to prevent the recruitment of girls and boys as soldiers and conflict-related sexual violence against children. But Mama Sarah, you're a strong voice for women and children in South Sudan, although I would say globally also. So can you tell us how it all started? Thank you. The aspect of voicing out for children is twofold. I'm a mother and there cannot be a better advocate for children than a mother. Secondly, I'm a teacher by profession and a social worker. Right from my teaching training college, I picked interest in advocating for children's rights. At first, it was their rights to education, and this has since expanded to other key child rights advocacy. Issues such as their rights to be kept out recruitment into armed group or forces, right to health and proper nutrition, just to mention a few. Absolutely. And so maybe Mama Sarah, just talk to me a bit about what it's been like in terms of your journey and maybe some of the 
successes you want to share with people, the lessons you've learned along the way? Yeah, during our um, community dialogue, we have interacted with so many women telling us many stories. Yeah, for example, like uh, the story in uh, Bantu, the women say that uh, she has three sons and uh, all of them were recruited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by the armed group. Wow. But unfortunately, all of them died. Oh. And she said that she's even regretting of giving birth because uh, uh, her children died and the other children also in South Sudan, some of them, they are uh, being in the street. Some of them, they are also being uh, formed by other groups and they are doing many things, many bad things. And she told me that I'm even regretting why I gave birth because all my children are being recruited and all of them dying. This is wow. actually affecting her and uh, her, 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 her husband also. And how many children did she have in total? In total, she has five. Five children and three she of them. Just remain, yeah, she just remained with. Uh, Two girls. Oh, wow. It's, that's extremely uh, painful for her. So as we think about this and we think about uh, the stories you've heard, we've also are dealing with being in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic. And now there are certain restrictions that are happening in South Sudan as well. Can you explain how important it is to have those community dialogues, especially on such difficult matters that you've just discussed? As I mentioned before, community dialogue, actually for us, for us it was a learning experience. And uh, we exchange information, share personal story and uh, experiences, express perspective, develop mm-hmm. solution to community, ending the recruitment of children. Mama Sarah, can you tell me what are some of those solutions that people have come up with? Is there an example of a solution you could share with us about preventing from a, you know, recruitment and use of children from some of these community dialogues? Yeah, they, you know, they say that they should come with a strategy. They have mentioned some of the things that the, 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 the government can do. For example, keeping children in school. Right. And uh, actually, the, the government can come up with... Uh, support program to the children, for example, like the drama, the sport, to engage the children, because children are engaged in learning, and outside there is no social support, yeah, or there is no a forum for the kids to come and play and discuss, uh, make friends. Yeah, this is some of the things they have mentioned. And how about the women themselves? Because I key aspect is about parents being educated and understanding the dangers of recruitment and use of children. You mentioned about the mother who lost three sons as a result of being recruited and used by an armed group. But did any of them talk about how important it was for them to understand the dangers of this issue or what they didn't realize in any of those dialogues that had been conducted? Actually, you know, when we are conducting the community dialogue, we were surprised because they know everything. They know children are being recruited. 
children are being supported by the armed group, recruit them and take them away from them. They know about it. Mm-hmm. But they are saying that those uh, we have to collaborate with the government to end the child recruitment. We want to stop the child recruitment. Mm. And what about girls? Some of the key protection issues that girls are facing, I think there's a lot of people that don't understand globally that children um, that are girls are also being recruited and used or subjected to a lot of harms as a result of the existence of some of these armed groups in the communities. Can you talk a little bit about that aspect? Yeah, they mentioned, they mentioned the recruitment of girls for mm-hmm. the purpose. They mm-hmm. mentioned that the commanders are going to marry the girls, to be their wives, mm-hmm. to cook, to help them in uh, domestic, uh, domestic work. They mentioned. So that's important, very different in different areas of the country, the types of uh, violations and responses and different types of armed groups that exist have different types of tactics. Um, Do you feel that uh, the reaction of the women to some of the training that we've been conducting or those community dialogues, do you feel that there is something particularly interesting about their response or reactions uh, that you've learned? Yeah, we have learned a lot, I, I mentioned. Yeah, they mentioned to us the government should uh, uh, open school to children to be engaged in the school. And uh, government should come up with a program that can assist the, the children and vulnerable group. And they furthermore also insist to the international NGOs and other development partners mm-hmm. to engage in program that support children. How is this related to the ongoing peace process though? So, you know, you were talking about the dangers that exist and the lack of services for children. Even they have mentioned that for us to have a stable South Sudan, we have to have peace. And when we have peace, the parties sign the agreement should commit to end the recruitment. And furthermore, they say that the government should come up with a program, even the political parties, mm-hmm. to end this because some militias and some armed group is still uh, recruiting children. But they mentioned that mm-hmm. we cannot stop it without peace. We need peace. Yeah. And we need political will. Absolutely. For us to stop. The children face a lot in South Sudan. Yeah, because of poverty, Mm -hmm. the economic situation. Some children, they don't have parents because a lot of people die. And the children, they are there. No one to take care of them. Mm -hmm. That's why it's also easier for the kids to be adapted or to be recruited by the armed group. I recall being in uh, Pibor and seeing children who were cattle herders who looked quite young to me, who had um, rifles strapped to their backs and 
ammunition uh, across the front of them and thinking about uh, some of these issues you've talked about, how easy it is to make a child go from uh, being in a situation where they are protecting this cattle to then being mobilized uh, into an armed conflict. And I think that that imagery will always stay with me, but I don't think necessarily that the entire world understands um, understands that dynamic. Can you uh, talk a little bit about um, how that, what, what you think about that and maybe what any of the women might've expressed about the connections there, um, thinking through those aspects uh, and, and protection of children? Yeah, you know, the, the, when we did the community dialogue, there are the two experts. There are two opinions. Yeah, some say that there are some group supporting the children to join the armed group because they are expecting the child to be trained, to help their community, and to support the political party or the armed group they support. Yes. And there are some, they are seeing that recruitment of children is not a good act. We need to stop it. Mm-hmm. Because child is a child, and child, his place is a school. Child cannot go and fight adult war. Exactly. One of the key points that you were raising in the community dialogues is this discussion of how if we want to get to peace in South Sudan, we need to realize we've got to break those cycles of recruitment and use of children. Is there anything you wanted to reveal on that and to give a message about in terms of the future of your country? Uh, Let me say this. For example, like uh, the recruitment of children, if we are going to stop it, we need to involve the families, the communities, and we also need to involve the kids themselves. There is a woman mentioned it. That's, we are just beating the drum, but we have to bring the kids in front of us to show them how this, uh, this act can affect the, their life. And children, you know, they are vulnerable. We have to plan for them. We have to talk to them. Yes, Mama Sarah, I thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you today. It's always a great pleasure uh, to get to see you. But I think that uh, the positivity that you bring to the future of the country of South Sudan is something to inspire all of us. What you've told us today is so critical to building a children peace and security agenda around the world. We've got to include children. We have to include communities. But we also need the political will at various levels. Yeah, and actually, you know, go ahead. Yeah, we actually looking for a future where achieving one's dreams, children and women. Absolutely. And uh, certainly we know that uh, empowering women and children to uh, address the future is, is the way of positivity for change. So thank you so much, Mama Sarah. Thank you. Thank you, Chelly. That's it for today's edition of CPS Podcast. We'll be back again next month with another edition of CPS Podcast to learn more about the Delea Institute's community and security sector approach to ending the use of children in conflict. If you'd like to listen to this podcast again, please download it. And of course, please feel free to share it. 
and thanks to Global Affairs Canada and the Slate Family Foundation for supporting our work in South Sudan. If you also feel strong about our work and want to support us, please head to our website at thedeleainstitute.org and click on the donate button and donate to our work. We'll appreciate that. This has been a Delea Institute's production. Thanks to all those who contributed. Until we meet again, I am Amara Bangura. And I'm Dr. Shelley Whitman. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful day.